Good morning. You may be seated. Great to see all of you this morning. I just want to just want to say something that we've been trying to say most weeks uh, leading up to the new year, that as we come to the new year, uh, our attendance spikes up a little bit again like it did this fall. This service gets really, really full. We have way too many kids down in the kids' wing. I mean, to the point where we almost, very much more, we'd have to actually close classes just because the fire marshal would get... Uh, uh, would get on us. So, and, and it's if obviously not as great of an experience for them. But I uh, want to encourage you, if you can, uh, even though there's plenty of space today, think about in the new year, if you can, um, consider going to one of the other services, the 11 a.m. or the Saturday uh, afternoon service at 4.30. All right. Well, I want you to open your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and on, in our Bibles, it's on page 1025. So if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles right in the seat rack in front of you. You can grab one of those. If you're using a smartphone or a tablet device, uh, we are using the NIV, the New International Version. If you're brand new with us today, uh, hopefully you picked up one of the green brochures. Uh, it says new here on it. And inside there is a sermon application guide. You can pick these up uh, every week on your way in at the various kiosks uh, at the beginning of each aisle. And there's room there for you to take notes. There's reflection questions. Today, specifically, this weekend, uh, there's a little bit more that I am moving from the sermon into the reflection guide and even in the outline itself. I'll point that out along the way. Just some things that I would have liked to have covered, but but there's not enough time, and so it just kind of shifts it if that's something you would look, like to look a little bit deeper at. Okay, um, so we are uh, going to pray, and then we're going to jump in to today's passage. Uh, so this, sermon, this, this prayer is based on Jeremiah 32. It's a prayer, as we do every week, of illumination, as we go into this movement of our worship, of listening to God, and we ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and our minds. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, your plans and your purposes are beyond our comprehension. Remind us that you are a, the God of the entire universe. You created the heavens and the earth and everything in them by your power. There is nothing you cannot do. As we look to your word, open our eyes to what you would reveal to us and open our hearts to the wonder of who you are. And by your Holy Spirit, lead us to follow you as we trust in your work in us and your work in the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're, we're looking specifically at our worth and where uh, we can locate what our worth is. And, and, um, and so to get us started, I want to show you a pretty insightful cartoon from the New Yorker used with permission. <laughs> uh, so you've got a guy there sitting at a bar, nursing a drink, and he's making a point to the bartender. And I don't know if you can see it, probably can, but it says, hey, pal, do you have any idea who I think I am? It's a... Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting um, idea because he's kind of speaking truth. He is saying out loud 
basically what, what anybody who tries to say that they are somebody is actually saying. <laughs> Do you have any idea who I think I am? He's hunched over, he's a bit messy. His hair's a little bit disheveled. His nose is red, which suggests, I think, the cartoonist is saying he's been drinking a little bit too much. He's alone, maybe on the way home from work, uh, maybe on a business trip. And you have to ask the question, is this man a man who believes in his own worth, or does he feel worthless? And I don't think the answer to that is a simple answer. I'm going to come back to that, because I think... uh, We're we're going to come back to the question of do we fundamentally at the core of our being, are we prideful? Are we the kind of people who believe that we are really good, that really believe that we are really worth something of value, that we believe that we're good enough um, in and of ourselves, or are we the kind of people that believe we're worthless deep down at our core? And I don't think the answer is really simple. I want to show you some numbers. 56, 69, 71, 117. So these numbers go to a, um, the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, surveyed over 600,000 American youth and young adults, 600,000. Uh, and the number comparisons I'm going to give you right now are the difference between the survey questions in 2008 and the survey questions in 2017, 2018. All right? So here's what it showed. In those about eight years, 56% increase in the suicide rate among 18 and 19-year-olds. It's 56%. 69% increase in depression among 16 and 17-year-olds in eight years. 71% increase in serious psychological distress, which includes feelings of anxiety and hopelessness among 18 to 25-year-olds, an 117% increase in major depression among 20 to 21-year-olds. So looking at those numbers, are young adults and youth increasingly feeling the worth of their own souls? What's the trajectory in our nation right now in terms of how people feel their own worth? So there's a great line from O Holy Night. Our series is built around the uh, stories in Luke and looking at some phrases that coincide from the song O Holy Night. And there's a line in O Holy Night that goes, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. So pining... uh, can mean a couple of things, uh, but in this context, it means primarily it means languishing. It means wasting away, suffering, but it carries a little hint of yearning for something better, pining for something better. And we live in a world, I think we can say, I think most of from our own experience as well as experience you know, from people around us that we know, we live in a world in sin and error, pining, languishing, but hoping for something better. How does Jesus coming help the soul feel its worth? How is that? Well, take just about any passage from Luke 1 and 2, uh, Matthew 1 and 2. Those are the uh, stories of Christmas leading up to Christmas and the story of Christmas. And you can take just about any of those passages 
And you can begin to ask that question about how, and you can answer that question. How is it that Jesus coming, you, you can see as people meet Jesus and recognize who he is, either through uh, the Holy Spirit or angels that reveal it to them, as they come face to face with who Jesus is, uh, you see just not only hope, but you see a sense of their feeling their worth that God has sent the Messiah to this earth. But we're going to focus on just one of those stories today from Luke chapter 1, the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, coming to her cousin's house, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Last week we looked at where Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, uh, is uh, the angel Gabriel comes and tells them that they're going to have a son in their advanced in age. They haven't been able to have children, and he doesn't believe the angel Gabriel he is not too thrilled with the fact that he doesn't believe him, and he strikes him uh, mute. He can't speak until John is, is born. Uh, but we pick up the story in verse 39. So if you look at verse 39, as Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she proclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her, which is kind of a jab towards Zechariah, <laughs> who probably has written down the story of what has happened to him and why he can't talk. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So in the story of God, the Bible, from the very beginning, we find our worth. We locate our worth there. We discover what our worth is. Right at the very beginning, it's explained that we are made in the image of God. And that says something about our worth. We are made to reflect God's image. And then the whole story of God in the Bible locates our worth in God, in his esteem of us, in his declarations about who we are, in his desire to be in relationship with us. We find our worth in Scripture we find our worth in God. It's not a performance thing. We don't find our worth in living up to other people's standards. We don't even find our worth in living up to God's 
standards. It's not about being true to ourselves, to kind of go deep into ourselves and find our worth within ourselves, to determine our own value for ourselves. Our value and worth is found in God. It's felt in a deepening and loving relationship with God. Now, in these verses in Luke 1, we're going to look at three three ways that God communicates our worth, and we're only going to scratch the surface on them. Um, I'm going to add two bonuses. They're in the outline. So if you didn't get an outline, you might want to pick one up. And what I want to suggest is if you don't already have a plan or you have some time to add to what your plan is, your daily plan, your daily way of connecting with God, uh, use this this week. So there's going to be five ways. We're going to look at three, and there's two more added there. Take one each day, read through the passage in a meditative way, and take one of the ideas and think about and meditate on how our worth and your worth is communicated by God in this passage. And when I say meditate on Scripture, it's one of those kind of words that we throw around and a lot of people go, really, I don't, I don't know what that means and I don't know how you do it. So some of the ways, here are some of the ways that you can meditate on Scripture. Um, read the Scripture slowly and repeatedly. I mean, slow yourself way down. And read each work carefully, out loud, slowly. And read the passage more than once. Don't like one and done, move on to the next thing. That's one of the ways you can meditate. You can meditate by reading a passage and pausing and praying from the words and ideas and phrases that are in that passage. You can pray your prayer out loud. Or you can pray your prayer by journaling your prayer but these are some of the ways that you meditate on Scripture. It's basically a slowing down, a chewing on the words and the ideas, taking them in, kind of letting them you know, bathe over you and, 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 um, or you bathe in them and letting them shape the way that you look at, at life. So that's something that you can do uh, this week very specifically with this passage. So we're going to look at three ways in some detail. Um, and the first way that God communicates our worth is that he fills God so look at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth, and then in the following verses you read, she prophesies. She speaks out words from God. Now, earlier in the chapter, when Gabriel comes to Zechariah, one of the things that uh, Gabriel tells Zechariah is that his son, who turns out to be John the Baptist, his son is going to be the forerunner to the Messiah who's coming, the expected forerunner. He's going to be a great prophet, and he is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit before birth. You don't find that in Scripture, being filled with the Holy Spirit before birth. Now, it's because of that that when Elizabeth says to Mary, when I heard your greeting, the baby inside of me leapt for joy. When we read that, we're not supposed to explain it away. You know what I mean by explain it away? Babies leap, right? They kick in the womb, they, they jab, and it's easy to read this passage and to go, well, She's interpreting 
what that is. You know, she's interpreting a jab, a kick, as the baby leaping for joy. But when you read earlier that this baby in the womb has been filled with the Holy Spirit already, you're supposed to make the connection when you read it. You're supposed to make the connection that this is not just a regular kick, that what she's saying is a prophetic word, just like the prophetic words that she says uh, a few moments after that. Um, this baby has lapped in joy. Now, what does this say in and of itself? What does this communicate about the value of a human life in the womb? It's not just this. It's really the whole infancy narrative. It's, it's, it's who Jesus is already in the womb, how he's spoken of in the womb. Now, uh, we have, as Christians, the Holy Spirit residing in us. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, we have the very presence of God in us. What does that say? about God's esteem towards us, or our worth in God's eyes, our value in God's eyes. Now, what is this, what is the Holy Spirit? What is he doing in us when he's residing in us? Now, I'm not going to go into that, but um, I do have a question in the reflection section. I think it's question number four, three or four, that lists several passages, and these are just, again, just a few passages that talk about what the Holy Spirit, what he's doing inside of us. Um, and that would be something to meditate on as well. So, God communicates our worth by filling. He fills us. Secondly, God communicates our worth because God speaks. So, I'm not referring here to what God says uh, in his words here about our worth or in other places in the Bible, although those things, are, of course, are important. I'm just talking about the very fact that God speaks, that he even speaks to us, communicates with us. In this passage, after Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, she prophesies. She knows that Mary is carrying the Messiah. She knows that in the only way that she can know that. Um, it's implied by the text. The only way that she can know that is that God has told her. God has spoken to her. So partway through verse 41, I'll just read beginning verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? It's a prophetic word. God has spoken to Elizabeth. God also speaks to Mary in this text. Uh, it's, it's different, and it's one that we might be able to associate more with our daily lives, and most of us will be able to uh, relate. Uh, not many of us, uh, you know, have the experience that Elizabeth had to, to be given a piece of information that, uh, that we couldn't know otherwise except God has spoken it, spoken it into our hearts. But all of us can experience hearing from God in the way that Mary hears from God and is shown in this passage, because Mary hears from God in the scriptures. He hears from her in the word of God. So Mary sings a song, and it's known as the Magnificat. It's a beautiful song, and it's filled with allusion after allusion to scripture, to God speaking through his word. Mary has heard God speak through his word, 
and now God's Word is shaping her song. That's obvious if you know, if you read the words slowly and study the words in comparison with God's Word, uh, which she had then, which would be our Old Testament. Every line. Not only every line, every phrase, and in some ways every word, but definitely every single phrase is inspired by Scripture. Uh, inspired sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly by Hannah's song in 1 Samuel. By over a dozen, maybe a couple of dozen psalms, maybe even more than a couple of dozen psalms. Um, the words of God inspire this song. You can find the inspirations in the prophets, and you can find them in the book of Genesis, and you can find them in the book of Deuteronomy. I wanted to kind of show where these ideas come from. I could not find a way. It is so, it's so abundant that I couldn't find a way to even take one verse and not like become a lecture here where this verse, this verse, this verse, this verse, this verse are all playing into this, this, this song. It's like Mary tries to put the whole story of God into one song. She is drawing from, from everywhere. Um, but you have to ask the question, why does God speak to us? Why does, why does he bother? <laughs> why does God bother to speak to us? So some of you heard this story before, but years ago, Quite a few years ago, my brother-in-law was in a barbecue joint in, um, uh, in Texas, and he's eating his food, and he looks across the restaurant, and sitting in a booth across the restaurant is the elder Bush, President Bush, and Barbara. And, uh, you know, he's kind of like, they're just having a meal there. And so he looks a little bit more, and he sees in the booth next to it, there's a Secret Service agent. <laughs> he decides he wants to go over there and shake his hand, and so he gets up and he walks across and he looks at the Secret Service agent to see if he's going to get tackled or something. And the guy, uh, you know, nods like it's okay. And so he goes and he approaches uh, George Bush. You can see uh, Barbara's not thrilled. You know, it's like, <laughs> who's this guy? Or somebody else bothering us. So he goes and he, and he thanks um, President Bush for his service. And then George Bush does something unexpected. He says, Sit down. <laughs> and he sits down. They have a conversation. And he, why bother? I don't even bother to talk to my brother-in-law. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, why, why bother? This is, you know, the, the man known who had been the former leader of the free world. <laughs> Asking my brother-in-law to sit down. And have a conversation. And so it says something uh, about President Bush. But it says something about President Bush's esteem of people, of just everyday people. But this is the God of the universe who wants to sit down and have a conversation with us. God wants us to know him. God wants us to know ourselves. God wants us to find our way to him. God wants us our, to find our way with him through life. He wants us to be, he wants to be in a relationship with us, and a relationship requires communication. So God speaks. And if you think, man, I just want the direct, I want to hear words. Look at the beauty of Mary's words with no prophetic intervention per se, but simply drawing on a lifetime of Scripture. 
of being immersed in Scripture. And what comes out of her in this lifetime of being a very young life, she's just a teenage girl, but a life immersed in Scripture, what comes out are the words of God. In bothering to talk to us, he's proclaiming, proclaiming to us our worth to him. That's where we locate our worth. Now, God's story uh, was written on this young teenage girl's heart, Mary. God wants to write his story on your heart as well. He wants to write his story on your heart. And uh, that's why he gives us his word, the scriptures. It's why he calls us to meditate on it. It's why he models it throughout scripture, gives us models of people who say, I meditate on scripture. Uh, he wants us to do it personally, and he wants us to do it when we gather together in, in worship, also in fellowship together. Now, I heard a, an interview this week with uh, a guy who is um, a Christian influencer, and he was talking uh, about some serious doubts with, uh, bouts with anxiety that he'd had in his life, and a period of his life where he went through uh, panic attacks. He was a worship leader at the time. Couldn't, couldn't lead worship for over six months in his church because of the panic attacks. Could hardly leave his house. Rarely would leave his house. And um, he was talking about that. And he says, you know, I've done a lot of reading and research and a lot of counseling and everything. And he says, I have my own way of talking about what people are saying, why there's so much anxiety. Because there is an epidemic, epidemic of anxiety from our little kids on. Um, and so he said one of, the, one of the things that, the way that he describes it is what he calls story stress. He says, uh, good stories and bad stories. He says, it used to take, uh, the way he put it, it used to take our grandparents a month to get the amount of stories put on their, into their head and on their shoulders, good stories and bad stories, that it takes most of us today just a day. Uh, because uh, we can scroll through stories, we have a 24-hour news cycle, um, that we, can, we carry a story machine on us all the time, and he says we're not made for it. <laughs> and so he's, uh, he makes his living now to a great degree by speaking and writing, and, and so he depends really heavily on Instagram in particular. And he said... Um, to, to communicate his, not only his message, but uh, to move people toward some of the things that he's doing and writing. And so he says, I have had to get to the point, he says, where I open Instagram for one hour at noon and for one hour in the evening, like from eight to nine, I open Instagram, I put in what I need to put, I check out a few things, and then I close it down. I think, I think it was him, might have been somebody else who said he, deletes it from his phone <laughs> so that he has to reload it every time he's going to look at it. And, um, and he said uh, something that he never imagined he would do. He said, I've gotten a subscription to the local newspaper, and that's how I get my news now because it slows, slows him down. Now, I don't know if he's right about story stress. I think he probably is. It's an interesting way of looking at it. But the Bible, the story of God, is a story that we do need more of. <laughs> we do. And when we read the Bible regularly, 
through the lens of this Bible is pointing us to Christ and redemption and his rescue and his love, and it's showing us how much God loves us. When we read it through that, it is, in, in many senses, a, an antidote to you know, this, this, the kind of stresses that we create for ourselves, not the kind of stresses that are um, like physical uh, that, that can set in in our lives, but it's definitely the antidote to self-induced stress. God wants to write his story on our hearts. He wants to write his story on our hearts. He wants us in his word. He wants that word to shape the songs of our life, the words of our lives, the conversations of our lives, the way that we live, the way that we interact with God. So God communicates our worth by filling us. He communicates our worth by speaking to us. And God communicates uh, our worth by blessing us. God blesses. So look at um, verse 46, the beginning of Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. From now on, all generations. She is blessed. That means... Something from outside of her, somebody from outside of her has blessed her. She's a recipient of a gift from God. No performance on her part. I mean, that's, that's part of the gist of this whole thing. It had nothing to do with her performance. It had nothing to do with, with her doing the right things and being this upright person. She's a teenage girl. And she's like, God has blessed me. And my soul, her response is praise and delight. My soul glorifies. If you want a simple definition of, of what it means to glorify, it's not a comprehensive definition. It doesn't cover everything that it means. But one of the things it means is delight. My soul delights in the Lord. And so uh, the scholar N.T. Wright, he says, if you want to get a sense of the joy that's expressed in this passage by Mary, think about a time you celebrated wildly that's what she's doing here. Now, for a lot of us, uh, it doesn't take very much to think about the last time we celebrated wildly. It was when Stefan Diggs made that catch, <laughs> right? N not everybody, I know. S some of you are Packer fans. Uh, okay, I'm not going to say. I was going to add something, but I'll just say some of you are Packer fans um, and other fans. Um, so, uh, now, I did think about that. This, this morning I was thinking about the sermon, and I was thinking about that, and I was like, you know, I've seen the videos. I know how I reacted, I, I, stories of other reactions. Um, this guy's a British scholar, academic. So when he says, think about ex celebrating wildly, he probably means this. Woo-hoo! Something like that, you know. Um, so, so I don't think she's quite like what a lot of us did when Diggs made that catch. Um, uh, but uh, definitely what's happening here is she is overjoyed with God's blessing. My spirit rejoices for he is mindful of the humble state of his servant, she says. She's saying, I'm filled with joy and delight in God because uh, I'm a nobody from nowhere. And God has blessed me like this. No sense of entitlement whatsoever. She doesn't get her worth, you know, like, yeah, you know, I was expecting something like this in my life. Um, or, 
I'm worth it, I'm enough, you know, some message like that. That, that isn't her message. Her, her, there's, there's not a bit of finding her worth in herself, uh, not even a drop of it. It's all God. It's a God who throughout history gives his grace to the humble, to people who aren't going like, I'm really something and I'm enough. Humility is a prerequisite of receiving God's grace. It's actually baked into the very definition of what grace is. Uh, it, it's, it would be a contradiction to say I've received God's grace and I deserved it. <laughs> um, humility is a prerequisite of receiving God's grace. What did Jesus say about the proud Pharisee uh, and the humble tax collector in his parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? He says, I tell you that this humble tax collector, rather than the proud Pharisee, because of the way they were praying, expressed that, the humble tax collector went home justified before God. And all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. He's, he's, he's stating something that's baked into the very nature of the universe, how it's designed. If you exalt yourself, if you find your worth in yourself, then you're not finding your worth in God, and that's all you'll have for all of eternity is your worth. Good luck on that one. But if you humble yourself, for, there's nothing the tax collector did except humble himself, and he went justified because justification is something that happens through God's grace. So the question I asked earlier is, are people basically at their core prideful or are they basically at their core humble in the sense that they don't sense their worth? Well, as you read the Bible, it goes out of its way to point out that pride is a terrible thing, that pride is in our hearts, that pride is, uh, as many, many people uh, suggest, at the core of every single sin that we ever commit, and that it is, is one of the most destructive forces. The suggestion by the way that the Scripture speaks to pride, just like in that passage, would suggest that we are prideful people who think we're really good and that we are enough and that we um, are really worth something. On the other hand, the Bible seems very intent on reminding us that we are made in the image of God, that we're loved by God. It emphasizes our worth and speaks to our brokenness and broken people like that tax collector, people who recognize I'm, I'm broken. So which one is it? Are we prideful or are we broken? And I think the answer is like that guy in the cartoon. <laughs> um, I think it's both. He's trying to exert his worth. But truth is coming out of his mouth probably because he's had one drink too many. <laughs> and he doesn't feel his worth and yet he feels like he's worth something and he needs to communicate that to others. That's why we have to find our worth in God's love. We have to find it in God's love for us, which is communicated, among other ways, by filling us and speaking to us and blessing us. It's neither uh, based on performance for others, even for God, nor is it looking within ourselves. Our true worth is found and it's felt in God alone. Now, a couple other ways that in this passage God communicates, and they're kind of counterintuitive are that God humbles the proud and God judges the proud. 
And so um, those are a couple that you can think about uh, because even in God's judgment, God judges because of our worth, because of the love that he has for us and the value of human life. So you can think about that one a little bit. Let me finish with this. A few years ago, the Associated Press ran a story uh, about these girls in India. And uh, in the picture, you only see a few of them, but uh, there were 285 of these girls. And this is a naming ceremony, or more precisely, a renaming ceremony. Uh, Because um, at birth, these girls, 285 girls, were named either Nakusa or Nakushi, which means unwanted in Hindi. And, um, you know, I, I hate to point at a different culture because we, we also <laughs> have a major, major issue as Americans with communicating unwanted to kids as well. But this one is, is just kind of on, on the surface. You can see it a little bit more. So the name unwanted uh, is often given to girls across India because, value, because so many families value sons more than daughters. And as a result, female babies uh, are aborted just for being female uh, oftentimes and are oftentimes neglected uh, at just, at the article said, in alarming rates. But the renaming ceremony was an attempt to give these girls a new identity by giving them a new name. And so the article, the article says this, the 285 girls wearing their best outfits with barrettes, braids, and bows in their hair lined up to receive certificates with their new names along with small flower bouquets. Some of the girls chose new names that mean prosperous or beautiful or good or even very tough. (laughs) And one girl who was named Nakusa by her grandfather who had been disappointed in the fact that she was a girl said, now in school my classmates and my friends will be calling me by this new name And that name makes me happy. You are called blessed by God. God calls you blessed. And he speaks to you. And he fills you. If you'll receive him. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Till he appeared. And the soul felt its worth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, that you came. And in coming, you declared that you love us. You want to recover a relationship with us. You want to renew. You want to reconcile. You want to redeem us from the life we've chosen apart from you. We thank you. This Christmas season, help us feel our worth because of your coming. May we live out of that sense of worth based on your grace, based on your love, undeserved, but we are loved. We pray this in Jesus' name.